Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. 40 days before her wedding was to occur, Tamara went to her parents, Willie and Carol, and said, the wedding is off 40 days before the wedding. Now, Willie and Carol were devastated because now the son-in-law that they thought they were going to have, they're not going to have. And if you have ever been a father with a daughter who has paid for a reception that is now not going to happen because 40 days is not enough time to get any money back, very much at all or none at all, you are really devastated. So Willie and Carol... They were shaking their heads, and that night Willie went to bed, and he prayed. He said, Lord, uh, you know, what can I do with this? I mean, we were so looking forward to it, and uh, now it's not going to happen. So he laid his head down on his pillow, and the next morning when Willie uh, got up, he turned to his wife, Carol, and he said, I know what we're going to do. He said, you remember that organization that feeds the homeless here in Atlanta? Do you remember Uh, what was the name of that organization? Hosea, Feed the Hungry. And Carol goes, but our reception is, it's got gold plates and it's got, it's got crystal stemware and five courses and it's in one of the best restaurants in Atlanta. I like your idea. (laughs) And so Carol calls Hosea, Feed the Hungry, And they think it's a prank call. They don't believe her. Uh, So she keeps talking, and finally they realize, no, this isn't fake. This is for real. And so Carol says, I want you to invite, we've got room for 200. I want you to invite 200 of the hungriest, loneliest people, which I think something like 71% of the homeless and hungry in Atlanta are children. And said, make sure we get the kids and the women there, and some men. And uh, well, let's make sure we get the children and the women there. And you go out and you invite them to this wedding reception. Wow. That is just a phenomenal story. You've got a picture there, I think, of, uh, there you go. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they said that when the kids sat down around the table, they brought the hors d'oeuvres by. The kids looked at that tray. And turned to someone and said, can we keep the whole tray? Like they just wanted the tray to be dropped down in front of them because that was more food than they had ever seen. And, uh, and, you know, they had people serving them and five-course meal with the best service that uh, anyone could have in Atlanta. It was quite a sight. But you know what? This isn't the only time a story like this has been told. Over in the Gospel of Luke in the chapter 14... We have a similar story. This isn't original. Jesus told the original story of something like this. So if you got your Bibles today or your app and you want to turn over with me, turn over to Luke 14 in the first verse. We're in a series called The Parables of Luke. 
parable is, uh, simply means a story uh, that Jesus tells, uh, that is told, that has a purpose behind it, that uh, they didn't have books during this culture. And so stories is how they remembered things. Like you remember good stories, don't you? And you remember uh, when people tell you something that's happened to them, a story. We retain that even uh, more so than we do what we read many times. And, and so Jesus was very fond. He was a good communicator. So we had set up these stories, and, and we call them parables. Uh, so let's just pray, and we're going to jump into this. I tell you, I, had a, I really enjoyed this passage of Scripture. I laughed so much because there is a lot of humor in these 24 verses that we're going to read today. And it's also like we have humor, but at the same time, there is this impactful honesty and truth that Jesus uses to pierce our hearts and to show us the value of the kingdom of God, of when God rules and reigns in a person's life or in a place, what it can look like. So, Father, we ask for your help today. We pray your blessings over the word. We ask that you breathe life on it. I pray that you help me, Lord, and uh, that you would speak and that I would hear and that we would all hear because your word brings life, and I need life. We need life. Our church needs life. We need to see your kingdom come, and that's our prayer today, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, in this passage of scripture, uh, Jesus' posture has swung toward Jerusalem. He realizes at this point in his life that the cross is ahead of him. And so as you read through the previous chapters of Luke, you will see that his parables are getting much more pointed and, uh, and just the focus of Jesus turning toward Jerusalem and knowing that he's about to head toward that direction to pay the ultimate price on the cross is very much so on his mind. And uh, this is a Sabbath day when this story that we're going to read, uh, it's, it's the Sabbath, the Jewish holy day. And so let's read it and uh, we'll make some comments. You've got to fill in in your handout if you want to take it out and follow along, you can. Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body, dropsy, we would call it edema. He was swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. <laughs> Love it. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so... The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. When you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, 
or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so you know I can't come. Uh, The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Well, it's a Sabbath. That means that they haven't eaten probably since sundown the day before they went to church that morning they couldn't eat until nine o'clock on that Saturday morning Uh, they're hungry Uh, they've been to church this is I would think this is around lunchtime or so before sunset of course on the Sabbath and so they've gathered this is a very prominent religious leader wealthy man well known in the community everyone knew who he was He invites Jesus to come probably because in these gatherings they love to have some controversy or at least some figure that would sit at the table that they could quiz and ask questions of and and just try to get in an interesting conversation. And at this time, there was nobody more interesting than Jesus. And so this Pharisee says, yeah, let's get him in here. And I think it was kind of a trap too. With him, his face set toward Jerusalem, Religious leaders were looking to try to trap in him some things maybe that he would say. And so they invited him to come. They would be sitting at a U-shaped table with the host sitting here, uh, you know, like in the center of it. And uh, then all of those who want to feel important would try to jockey position to get over next to the host and sit close to him. You've never seen that before, have you? And, uh, you know, try to get in there. And, uh, and so that was the setting. Well, when Jesus shows up to this, this dinner... Uh, look what happens in verse 2. There in front of him. I, I don't know. The scripture has such economy sometimes. There's nothing out of place in it. Uh, there in front of him was a man suffering from edema, swelling of the body, the fluids of his body, and he was standing right in front of Jesus. I almost get the feeling he was walking into the guy's house, and there's this guy in misery. Now, he can't go in the house. I mean, they would never let somebody in the house like that. So he's not in there because he wouldn't have been a part of that invitation. Not a guy that was sick like that. And so he's standing right in the way. And, you know, we don't even hear the guy say anything in the story. But Jesus begins 
Jesus begins his interaction with a question. I mean, Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived, you know. I mean, the minute the guy shows up, he turns to the Pharisee and all the guests, and he goes, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, it's a setup. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? But they remained silent. You see that theme through this? Nobody's saying a word. It's supposed to be a great banquet. You've been to banquets, clashing of glasses, all these conversations. This place is dead. Because Jesus is asking questions that everybody's going, hmm, hmm, hmm. So Jesus says, is it, is it legal to heal someone on the Sabbath? And then what does he do? He takes hold of the man. Not only does he heal him, he touches him. They had to be aghast because you wouldn't touch the sick, especially a prominent rabbi. Of course, this rabbi is not really a rabbi. He's never been to school. He's never been to the rabbinical schools, but everybody's following him. At least these kind of people are following him. And the Pharisees, they're interested in him because he's so popular and he says these things they don't understand. And they're getting jealous. They feel threatened by him. He touches the man and heals him. And then it says he sent him on his way. I love that. It's like, all right, dude, you're healed. Don't hang out here, all right? Like, you, you just don't want to hang out with this group right now, okay? So I'll tell you what. Go home and tell your family you're healed. Go home. That's where you, you need to go home and let them see what, what's happened, okay? So go on your way. Go ahead. Take off. And the guy takes off. And then Jesus turns to him, and he says this. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Now, what's the answer to that question? And they had nothing to say. <laughs> because the answer is, if you had someone you loved dearly, and they had fallen into a well, into some hole, whether it was a religious holiday or not, your love for them, your love for them would cause you to reach down and do everything you could to get them out. And then he says, if an ox has fallen into the well, would you know? Because an ox is of great value. If they don't have an oxen to till their soil, they can't get their crops. And so Jesus is saying, if you've got someone you love and if you've got something you value, would you not jump in and rescue them? Wouldn't you even do it, Mr. Pharisee? Wouldn't you do that? Your first fill-in is this. Uh, and I think there are three characteristics of God's rule and reign. That is how God does things, the kingdom of God that we're shown in these parables and these stories. And your first one is this, healing. That there is healing in the kingdom of God. When God comes in power, when he comes in his love, when he comes in his restorative uh, attraction to humanity, people are restored. People are loved. People are cared for, and they are healed. And um, like I said, this story, the fact that nobody can say anything. I mean, I, the guy didn't even ask for healing. I mean, Jesus healed people who didn't even ask him for healing. He just happened to be standing there. Bam. Come here, buddy. Healed. Why? Then he tells the story of a son, of an ox that's in need, someone loved, 
someone highly valued. What would you do? What you do? Healing is a part of the kingdom, and it's a part. It's meant to be a part of the, God's people in the kingdom. You know, I wonder how many times we have people standing right in front of us during our day who are carrying all kind of burdens and pains and just heavy weights or are sick in some way, and they are standing right in the passageway of our life wherever we're going, and we never see them. We never really have the eyes to look and say that person is loved and that person's valued and, uh, you know, somebody should be caring for that person. And so we kind of step around them to get into the meeting, to get into the banquet, to get into where we're going. And Jesus says, that's not the kingdom. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not when God comes to rule, when he comes to earth and he comes to, to do his thing. It's not like that. There is healing in the kingdom because God loves and values those who find themselves stuck down in a pit without any help. Well, they had nothing to say. There is no debate. There's no commentary. And so Jesus moves on. He's looking around the room. Verse 7. And he's noticing how the guests pick the places of honor at the table. So I guess they're still getting seated, you know. They're looking for their name, maybe, you know. Oh, look, it's over by the host, you know. And they're trying to jockey for position. People are sliding other people's names out the way and putting their, you know, sliding them around, trying to get in there with the host. And Jesus says, and he's looking out at the whole crowd right now, right? When someone invites you to a wedding feast, maybe this was a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You ever sat in the wrong place before? I mean, you ever like been at a concert or something and you see two seats or a seat down real close and you think, man, why, is, why isn't anybody sitting in that seat? You know, and you with your $20 ticket, you know, you make it down. You make it down a couple of seats away from where the band is or something. Going to see bands is like what I'm used to. And you go down and you, you're sitting there. And you're like, this is a great man. I can't believe we got these seats. And all of a sudden, I should go, sir, can I see your ticket, please? You know, and you go, uh, sir, you're in the wrong seat. Yours is way back there, you know. Now, maybe they don't show up. Maybe the usher will go get you and bring you down and, like, ever flown first class because somebody didn't show up. You know, you didn't go into first class and sit down, did you? Ah, <laughs> uh, dude, out. You know, it's back on the back. And uh, Jesus is revealing a characteristic of the kingdom, and this is your next fill-in, and it's humility. Humility. There's healing in the kingdom. There's humility in the kingdom. When God's rule and reign comes to earth, when we see him get his way, when Jesus comes to be Lord, there comes a certain humility into our lives, or there should be anyway. It should be among us. And, and with a C.J. Mahaney 
says, uh, this is his definition. He says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. It's not looking at the others at the table. It's looking at God and, and assessing ourselves in light of who he is, of how great he is, how wonderful he is, how perfect he is, how righteous and holy he is, and then looking at ourselves and going, wow, wow. Look at God. John Calvin, uh, great reformer, said, It is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look unto himself. That's who we look to. And if, if you can look into God's eyes and if you can look into his holiness and his perfection and not have a sense of humility about yourself, then uh, maybe we're not getting the right perspective of God. Uh, Winston Churchill, who was always making these little quips, if you know anything about, about him, he, he, uh, when he, if, if he had a politician running against him, he could come up with some pretty good sayings. So he had a guy that was kind of uh, a little bit adverse to him, and this is the way Churchill described him. A modest little man who has a good deal to be modest about. <laughs> Sometimes I think we followers of Jesus, we Christians at times need to remember that we are modest people who have a lot to be modest about in light of God's greatness, in light of God's goodness. So when it comes to us, putting ourselves up against other people. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom says, why don't you look at yourself in light of who I am? Because if you do, there will be a sense of humility. And uh, you know what's scary about all of this is that it's possible to admire humility while remaining proud ourselves. I mean, you ever said that like Churchill? They're such a humble person. And usually, what do you mean by that? You know, it's like, bless his heart, you know. <laughs> you know what that means, right? Yeah. The southern cliche that means sucks to be you. <laughs> and that, that's what it means in a nice way. The kingdom is, you know, the kingdom is a place where, where we see ourselves in light of God's wonderful love. And the fact that he does value us and he cares for us. And so God's people, you know, they develop through looking at themselves in light of God's greatness and the fact that he chooses us. And it allows a humility, a deep humility to come to our lives. Well, we don't always have to have our own way. We don't have to have the positions of honor. And we take on the role of Jesus as a servant. And Jesus is getting at this to show a contrast to the Pharisees. Like the way you've got this set up and the way this religious order is now is not the way God has it. That's not the kingdom. What you have here in this room and what we're seeing right now is not the kingdom of God that has come to earth. That is not it. And you know, I still think this talks to us because we're all still sinners at heart in many ways and we have to deal with the pride issue. We have to deal with the issue are we going to extend our hands to pray for others to be healed and to care for those that are right in front of us? Are we going to be emissaries of the kingdom of God's love and power and grace and mercy to a world that he cares so much for? That's the kingdom. 
And that's the kingdom Jesus was describing. You know, Jesus wasn't beyond exaggeration. He used it all the time to make a point. And these stories are exaggerations. So it can show what the Pharisees were living like as an exaggeration on one end. And he's like, here, I want to get your attention. So I'm going to describe this about you not inviting your friends. Because it's not wrong to invite your friends to your home to have dinner. That's not what Jesus is saying. I mean, over in other scripture, he says to do that. Gather with one another. But he's making an extreme case here so that they can be awakened. And of course, what? Nobody's talking. The only one, the only one having anything to say here is Jesus. Back to the dinner. Uh, so there's humility. Let me read this scripture too. First Peter 5, 5 through 6. First Peter 5, 5 through 6. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And who is saying this? Peter is saying this. The guy that was with Jesus for three and a half years who was always putting his foot in his mouth. I think he finally got it. The guy who pulled the sword out, remember, when, in the garden? Peter is finally getting it that humility is a part of this kingdom that God is bringing to the earth in Jesus. Humility. So back to the dinner. It's quiet. The beautiful people have gathered. Everybody's in the room. It's quiet. There's no clanking. There's no movement except for one guy. You ever had that one guy? One guy in a meeting. There's always one guy, right? I mean, things are awkward. Things are quiet, you know. And this one guy is kind of like, you know, I guess he's, you know, he's like this one dude. He's probably over there eating away, you know, while everybody, everybody is like so stoic. He's like Clark Griswold, you know. He's just... You know, he's, he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, out of his mouth, he's like, somebody needs to break the silence. This is really awkward. And so in verse 15, he goes, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Okay. <laughs> he puts his head back down. and you know, Just trying to break it. You know, it's kind of tense in this place. <laughs> you know? And what does Jesus do? Jesus replies, a certain man, <laughs> I see him looking at this dude, you know. God puts his head down. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. These are really legitimate legitimate excuses um you know if you bought a field in this day sight unseen there was no google earth <laughs> you know nobody was emailing you a picture if you just spent a bunch of money for a piece of land whether you were invited to a banquet or something or not it was like dude i want to go see what i paid my money for and i mean this these, these are not bad excuses another said i've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Well, five yoke of oxen, that's quite an investment. That's five times uh, more than the normal person, I mean, would have. So this guy had to be a large landowner, and he had quite an investment, and he wants to go try the tractors out. <laughs> He's like, you know, I paid for five of these. I got this much land. I really need to make sure these, you know, they're going to work. And then the third one, I just got married. <laughs> you know I'm not coming. <laughs> I mean, that's a legitimate excuse, right? 
Even in the Old Testament, if you just got married, the male was allowed not to have to go into service for a bit of time so he could get his marriage up and going. And so this, none of these excuses are bad excuses. But compared to the banquet, but compared to the banquet, it costs them all something. Your last fill-in is the hospitality of the kingdom. The hospitality of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, why did you miss this man who needed healing? Where's the humility in this group? And where's the hospitality? Look around this room. Look around this room. The servant came back. They sent the RSVPs out. There were 200 settings. It was going to be a five-course meal. It was going to be a beautiful reception. They wanted the whole restaurant full, this guy did. Gold plates, crystal stemware, great food, great environment. And now he's finding out that the place is going to be half empty or more. And so the guy goes, he tells his servant, he says, he gets angry. He's like, man, I can't have a meal like this and it'd be almost empty in here. Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So he did. The description he gives is you go out to like Grissom. Go over to Grissom, start knocking on the doors. Go over the 17 business and go down and start knocking on the doors. Go down to the boulevard and make your way all the way down, all the way up the 72nd Avenue. Go this way. Head down that way. Head over to Plantation Point. Come back over here and there. Go, go, go and invite. Knock on the doors. Invite. Invite everyone in this corner back here on 28th Avenue, 29th, 30th, 31st. Go out and anybody. People who are hungry. People who are lame. People who don't get invited to anything. Go and knock on their doors and ask them to come. And the servant comes back. Sir, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. <laughs> there is still room. And there is still room for you. There is still room. There is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Go out to 501. Go down to 701. Go to 22. Go to 31. Go to 701. Go to 707. Go over to Aner. Go over to Loris. Go over to Tabor City. Go down to Merle's Inlet. Go out. Literally what this means is go to a people who have not heard of me. Go and invite people to the banquet who do not know the host. That's what that furthest out is meant to mean. Go to some people who don't know you. Who don't know me. Who don't know Jesus. People who don't get an opportunity to get to the banquet. Who never get an invite. Go to them. That is the kingdom of God. The gracious hospitality to the marginal, the broken, do you know what the word hospitality means in Scripture? Love of a stranger. 
When Jesus, when we see hospitality in the scripture, it's love of someone you don't know. The love of a stranger. And you know how radical this is? Not just to them, but to us in a way. And I hope you get this again. God is not saying don't invite your friends or your family to your house. He's not saying that. He's saying the kingdom of God is so radical. This is the way it looks. But these people need to be included. That When you look at God and you look at yourself, no matter your status in life, which group are you in really compared to God? And he says, go out and invite people in. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, go out and feed them. Now, that's not bad. He tells us in other scripture to do that, right? We're to go out and feed the hungry. In this case, he makes it extremely personal. (laughs) He says, go out and compel them to come in to your house. People you don't know. Now, there's two kinds of people in here right now. Some of us are going, no, that's just weird. You know, that's just scary weird. I'm sorry. You know, I'm I'm not going out into the streets, Tim. Is that what you're saying God told me to do? Is that it? Am am I not going to be a good person if I don't go out and invite strange people into my home? (laughs) Is that what you're saying? And like, you know, I'm not up for that, Tim. And there's another group of you in here going, right on. That's what we should be doing. You go first. You know, that's (laughs) it. That, that, you know, I, I get it. But you're missing the point. It's supposed to be tension-filled. That was what Jesus was doing is the kingdom of this world was running right up against the kingdom of God. And what we were seeing here is the love of a great creator who looks down into that pit and sees someone that he loves, someone of great value, someone who never, ever got invited to the banquet. And now he's asking... Don't you want to come to the banquet? Hospitality is a part of the kingdom. It's our reflection of God's great hospitality. Every church should be so hospitable. I mean, every gathering that we have, we should exude the hospitality of Christ, of Jesus, for those he loves and he values, like we started this story with. The only question for this is there's a great banquet. The question is, are you going to take the invitation? Are you going to take it? Because the invitation is for you this morning. God is the host. And he is inviting and even compelling you. You may be in here, and the distance from from us, from me, from this church is a long ways off. Maybe in distance, maybe in morality, maybe in the way you look at life, the way you process life, maybe in your values, maybe in your religion. You are a far way off and yet God in his love because he cares for you has compelled you to come to the table to come and eat at his banquet because he loves and he values you. The whole question is Will you come? Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.